Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. My name is Guy of Guy's Woodshop, and I'm joined by Hui, who is the Alabama woodworker. Hello, Guy. Well, hello, Hui. <laughs> and Sean Walker of Simple Co. fame. Hey, how's it going? I'm, I'm well, Sean. Thanks for asking. This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And we also have a Patreon account, and right now we have one level, and we are simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife. So let's get right into it. And I think, we you have the first question. Okay, this question is from Guile and uh, Kyle, excuse me. This question is from Kyle, and Kyle is actually a Patreon member, and he asks, hi guys, I really appreciate everything that you guys do to put this out. I'm a beginner woodworker, uh, been doing this for about four years, and I have a lot of questions that I'd like to get your perspectives on. I have a shop space that measures 24 by 30. When I first started wo- uh, woodworking, I, it was out of a quarter of a garage, the quarter of the size that I have now. And, and I've been very intrigued by the shopsmith machines. What are your thoughts on a five or seven in one machine? I really enjoy the option for a lathe and a quick flip to a drill press. I've actually seen several shopsmith machines set up in a small shop. Uh, one of my friends, Chris, local guy here, he was pretty obsessed with the shopsmith's mach- shopsmith machines, and he actually was more of a collector than I would say maybe a woodworker. I think maybe one of the things that he loved to do is fix up these machines and set them up in different orientations. I think you know he was he's kind of a MacGyver, right? Like he just kind of has that attitude of always uh, trying to tinker around with things. And it was very interesting, but he even admitted himself that one of the downfalls of the shopsmith and why he had so many to do the individual operations that he had was because it just took such a long time, not necessarily to switch from one machine to the other or one operation to the other, but really to calibrate the machine so that they could do sort of the fine precision work that maybe uh, we've become sort of used to to do in like furniture or cabinet making. So... I think if it intrigues you and if, you know, having a machine like that is kind of a hobby and if you're just, you know, spending a couple hours here and there tinkering around, tinkering around in the workshop, maybe that'd be all right with you. For me, I have no interest in them primarily because I want to be able to have and walk up to a machine and not have to calibrate or switch over to be able to do a certain operation, right? I want to be able to walk up to it and know that if I forget to do an operation on that on the table saw, I don't have to flip from the drill press back to the table saw, recalibrate everything, and make that one cut that I forgot. Uh, wait a second. You do have a combination machine, don't you? I do. I have a jointer planer combo. Well, that's a little that's a little you know, yeah, um, yeah. So, so that's a really good question because we all have combo <laughs> machines, right? In 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 a certain respect, we don't have like a five in five in one or a seven in one. Uh, we have the the jointer and planer combo, which really are are a, a similar operation. I don't want to say similar, but it's an operation that would be done in conjunction with each other, right? For the most part. And mm-hmm. one of the hesitations that I had with having a combo machine was, you know, sort of the things that I've heard about the shopsmith machines. Oh, switching it back and forth. You have to recalibrate. That's not necessarily the case with these combo machines that we have. The two that I'm talking about are the jet machines and, and the hammer. These machines, when they flip between each other, the only difference that you have to make sure of is that the planer bed is either low enough so that the hood can flip over or if it's high enough to obviously plane the material or the thickness that you need to do. There really isn't any other real calibration that has to be done. Maybe occasionally making sure that the fence of the of the joiner is is uh, square in between flips. But do those shops machines, do they have like joiners and planers and all that? Yeah, they do have a small joiner attacher, attachment and a planer attachment. And a bandsaw attached. What size can they be go up to? I think um, you the idea? jointer, I think it's either six or four inch. I don't really know off the top of my head. Mm. Let me see this. I know the table saw table is like the, the, the work surface is 
ridiculously small. It's like the size of a drill press table. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's small. That's my only problem with those machines. I like the idea of it. And I think if you have a small shop and you have, I don't want to say an abundance of time, but time is not a real issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you're not in a production environment or anything like that. Right. You're just a hobbyist. Changing the machine over from one task to another that takes 10 minutes is not, may not be that big of a deal. And I think True. it's kind of cool. And it allows people that don't have a large space to be able to have a full complement of power machines in their shop. Right. It's not for me. Yeah. You know, Shopsmith is in business today. Because there's a place for that stuff in the world. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's that's a decision that whoever's purchasing it has to make. What do you think, Sean? Uh, I'm looking at the Mark 7. And just to get let you guys know what all comes on it now, 34-inch uh, lathe, 10-inch table saw, 12-inch disc sander, 16-and-a-half-inch vertical drill press, a horizontal boring machine, over-table router, under table shaper and all of those are useful but to be honest with you uh i would not sacrifice table size or anything like that because the main thing that i would use that for obviously is a table saw i rarely would use the lathe i would rarely use a disc sander um i, I wouldn't sacrifice anything on a table saw to just have those other machines all in one if you have a you know space limitation issues obviously this is definitely a way to go but if I had room, I wouldn't have any combination machine at all, including the joiner planner that I have. I mean, I'm just, I'm anti-combination machines unless you have to have them due to space constraints and, and whatever reason. But Yeah, and Kyle's saying he's got a 24 by 30 shop. That's pretty big. That's Yeah, I don't, I don't think. But he comes from a garage with a core of the size. So, you know, I guess in his mind, he's like, man. I got to save every inch I got right now. You know, I've got all this space. He's got 24 by 30, but that's a three car garage. That's a deep three car garage. Yep. Yep. Mm hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, standard garage is like 20 feet deep. It's 24 foot. Oh, deep. 24 by 30. Yeah. 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 24 a, by 30. That's a, that's, that's a, a good, that's a three car garage. Yeah. Then that's a deep three car garage. That's a good size building, shop yep. space. That's about what I'm working with right there. So, that's a good yeah, size. It's a decent size. Yeah. I wouldn't sacrifice because I mean, the table on the table saw is really small. What is that about a contractor yeah. size top? Yeah. Oh, I smaller mean, than that. I think they're they're pretty small. That's that's yeah. the big turnoff for me on that machine. For me, anyways, that's the big turnoff, is that the the machines seem really small. Mm -hmm. Except for the drill press and the lathe. Now, now I've heard good things about the drill press and the lathe on yeah. the Shopsmith. I've actually heard a lot of people like the drill press and will actually get a Shopsmith just to have you know the 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 drill press portion of it. Yeah, and, a hard, and it also acts as a horizontal boring machine. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Apparently, it, you can get extension tables and stuff to make it wide, but again, it's it's not very deep at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you got a twenty-four by thirty, I would look at very very hard look at getting separate machines and just look at that and see what you would use period i mean you don't need a, a shaper if you're going to get a router and this is just my opinion is that I mean, expensive um uh there are a lot of huge see. ones out there yeah it's uh the shop the the shopsmith mark 7 with the power pro fence blah 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 4400 dollars yeah wow <laughs> that's a little salty <laughs> but then again you know if you're working out of something the size of a storage shed that may be a really good option for some people yeah very well yeah. could be very well could be all right so i guess sean you have the next question this is from a guy we've never heard from before brent jarvis oh who's uh, that? I'm, I'm familiar with him yeah that's, that's a new one i think woodworking yeah What's the most useless thing you've bought for your shop? I'm not even going to try to explain this one. You know you've bought something that you haven't touched since you bought it. Guy, you're old. You know you you have things you bought that for that one job. Well, and why is everybody always attacking me? What the <laughs> I don't hell know. did I do to anybody? 
I guess he's saying you've got you got uh, quite a few years in the shop, so you know you have that one thing you bought for that one job and you didn't even use it. I hate to call this useless. It's definitely not useless. But the thing that I purchased, and I looked at my shop tonight for a good bit. I'm like, what fits this question? And believe it or not, it is my Lee Nielsen 112 large scraper plane only because it doesn't fit in my workflow. Uh, I keep it around because actually it's a very beautiful plane and it's a work of art like the rest of their hand planes. Um, it, it looks nice. <laughs> it looks nice. Isn't that, why, isn't that why we buy some of the premium tools though? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just because I don't know why I bought it. Probably because I held it at one of those uh, Lee Nielsen events and... I was attracted to it and uh, it's a beautiful plane, uh, but I just don't use it. It doesn't fit in my workflow. I've not used it one time. I think I may have sharpened it once and I've um, never really used it. Now, probably the second thing that I wouldn't say is useless, but I very rarely use is my lathe. When I do need it, uh, I'm glad that I have it, but I very, very rarely use my lathe. Those two items I'm going to keep, but I rarely use. Mm-hmm, and, yeah. uh, Guy, let's let's hear. You probably, since you're quote unquote older, you have a few <laughs> items, right? I got, I got a couple things laying around the shop. I the one thing you know that I I thought about this question as you were talking about your stuff, and there is one tool I have which I have never used that I bought, and it's from Lee Valley, and what it is is a scraper that is used for thinning inlay. Oh yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was like it's about, a, yeah, it's like a stringing thicknesser thing. And I, I saw it. I said, Oh, I got to have me one of those. So I bought it, <laughs> you know, they had their, you know, uh, at the time it was not very, not very common to have the, 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 you send $40, you get free shipping. They maybe did it once or twice a year, not like they've done recently. But um, I said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll buy one. What the hell? And I got it, and I looked at it, and I read the instructions, and I'm like, yeah, I'll look at this later. I put it in the box, and I don't think I've ever opened up the box again. <laughs> that was maybe three or four years ago. Oh, man. It wasn't that expensive. It was like, you know, like around a hundred dollars, but still it's a hundred dollars. I could have spent on something else. I could have bought a lot of, I could have had a good time in Vegas with a hundred (laughs) bucks. But, uh, that's about it, man. Everything I've, I've purchased, I've used, there's stuff I have that I don't use that much, mainly because it's not for woodworking. It may be like a construction tool, you know, like, like my framing nailer. Mm -hmm. Now I don't use it that often. But I have it. Mm-hmm. I've got a riffing nailer. I don't use that often, but I have it in case I need it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yep. There's yep. stuff like that that you accumulate over time because mm-hmm. I am an old dude, and you tend to accumulate stuff like that. You know, you you do a project. Well, I buy this tool. I buy this tool. I buy this tool because I need it for that project, especially stuff around the house, and you never use it again. Yeah. But you got to have a place to put it and you store it. What about you, Hui? Well, my happens to be a Lee Valley product as well. <laughs> it's um, I, I, it's like this small hand jointer. It's a new product that, that Lee Valley came out with, Veritas came out with, and it's really cool. I think it's pretty awesome. But it takes your large tenon plane, uh, shoulder plane, excuse me. So uh, the large shoulder plane fits into this sort of fixture and you can clamp it onto your, uh, into your bench and you can essentially use it as like a small parts jointer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a hand jointer. Why why, why don't you just take your shoulder plane and put it in your vice? Yeah, you could do that. Well, it it has (laughs) has a fence on it too. It has like a nice vertical fence on it. So, you know, I thought, okay, well, you know, when I'm doing splines or- They really make something like that? I've never seen it. Yeah, it's a a relatively new product. It's a C, it's for, uh, it's, I believe it's like made on a CNC machine or something like that. Um, You know, it's made out of plywood uh, and then it has a couple knobs on it to tighten the- shoulder plane into place and then it has a vertical a phenolic vertical fence on it so again Ooh. it's a it's a neat thing and it wasn't that ex- i think it was like 40 bucks um or 30 have you ever used it 
I've never taken it out of the box. <laughs> I've had it for like six months. I've never taken it out of the box. <laughs> Have you opened the box to look at it and go, ooh, that's nice. Yeah, I looked at it and I was like, oh, I'll do this later. Because, you know, I've got other stuff that's going on in the shop. And so then it's it's still in the box on the side of my bench, you know, co- collecting dust. I, again, it's a neat product. And I, I think... I will definitely use it when I get back to doing, you know, splines or inlays or, or whatever. It's just, I haven't had a need for it yet, <laughs> but I kind of mm. saw myself like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that in the future for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. What about you, Sean? Uh, Lee Nelson 112, the, my original oh, that's answer. right. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> He's paying attention. <laughs> Edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man that was a good one that's a good one well, sorry about that as soon as i said it i, I realized oh yeah he's talked about it. i was like damn do i need to come up with another one <laughs> no no i'm just tired man I'm just tired edit all that out wait please <laughs> so i guess i have the next question and this comes from jack and Jack says, thanks for providing a great podcast and sharing your knowledge and experiences with the woodworking community. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that, Jack. After listening to your stories about measuring and marking tools, I've come to the realization that my shop is sorely in need of an upgrade in this area. I do most of my work today with a standard combination square. You have given positive reviews for both Inkra and Woodpecker brands, and I've watched Guy's YouTube video for Inkra Precision Measuring and Marking Tools. Everybody should watch that. (laughs) I was very impressed with the precise measuring and ease of use of these tools. Since I'm planning to soon purchase some of these tools, I would like your thoughts, recommendations for purchasing all Inkra, all Woodpecker, or a mix of both. I'd also like to know which five or six measuring devices you would recommend if it were for your own shop, as I'm not exactly sure what I would need. I realize that this might not be a fair ask, given that Inkra and our Woodpecker are sponsors for some or all of you. Thanks for your help and keep up the good work. Actually, I I accept money from both Inkra and Woodpeckers. <laughs> so... All I can tell you is what I use a lot of, and I use a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I have the Incra Tiny T rule, which is a three inch like thing, and it's got a bunch of holes in it and a 90 degree fence to it. And I can mark out things like one to three inches from an edge just by putting a, a five millimeter pencil in there running along. Yeah. I use that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um the second thing I use more than anything else is my Paolini pocket roll, which is a woodpecker item. Uh, I've got the, the most handy one I found is I have, a, I have a six inch. At work, I have an eight and a 12 inch, which I rarely touch. But for my, and what sits in my tool belt and in my apron at home is a six inch model and it's it's a combination one. It's a stainless steel one. They're like 50 bucks, but it's got on one side, it's got metric. And on the other side, it's got Imperial, mm-hmm. which I find really handy. Not only can I measure things in both metric and Imperial, but I can convert right anything under six inches from metric to Imperial or Imperial to metric. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. that's a really good tool to have. I also keep a six inch, not a combination square, but a double square. Yeah. Because I rarely use the 45 degree thing. However, the double square thing has bit me in the ass a couple times because I've, you know, use the wrong side. I've used the wrong side of it. I really like a five millimeter pencil, Mm -hmm. mechanical pencil. I have a zebra brand which they're like five bucks a piece. They're not cheap, but they have like a built-in spring. They, I rarely break the lead on them. I think they're actually 0.7 millimeters, something like that. Um, no, they're five. They're, they're 0.5. 0.05. Yeah. 0.05. 0.05 millimeters. I'm sorry. They're, they're real thin because they have to fit in that Ankara tiny T rule thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have like a spring in them and they, the, the, the lead doesn't break as much. 
Right. And I've had a couple of those, I mean, for like four or five years and they still work fine. Actually, I was wrong. It's 0.5. Sorry. Yeah. It is 0.5 then. Yeah. Yes, you're right. It's 0.5. That's about it. I do like, I have a, I have a, uh, a Narex marking knife that I use quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And when I'm feeling really super fancy, I break out my Hillview woodworking and metals. Is that was that was that is that Hillview? Hillview, yeah. Yeah, Tony Rollo. Yep. I have a 12 inch and a six inch double square. And when I'm feeling really fancy, I break that out and use that because it's really nice. Mm-hmm. It's really expensive, and I, I like to keep it up on the shelf so it doesn't get damaged. <laughs> so what about you, Sean? I use a four inch and a six inch double square and a tape measure. That's I it. I use tape measure quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. And a 12 inch uh, combination every now and then, but I don't get fancy with the other stuff. I just use the double squares and be done with it. Yeah. We? I'm the same like you. I'm the same like you, Sean. I have a four inch double square a six inch combo square and I have a 12 inch combo square in the, uh, in my hand tool cabinet, but tape measure. I like rulers. I, I, I prefer the uh, stainless steel rulers over yeah. a tape measure a lot of times, you, you know, the, you know I've, uh, I've, I've got a bunch of just flat rulers. That I just lay down on stuff. Yeah. Yep. I do have some of the woodpeckers rulers with the rule stop, you know, particularly the long ones. Like um, I think mm-hmm. I have a thirty-six and a twelve-inch woodpecker's rules, which are pretty nice. But I also have like a twelve-inch stainless steel like flat rule. I really like those a lot. But yeah, I, I have I have a few woodpeckers things. But again, because the four-inch double square and the six-inch combination square stay in my apron, I, I use those the most. You know, those those are the ones that I use the most. Yeah. But, the the twelve is it twelve eighty? I think it's called twelve eighty, right? The twelve inch rule uh, square. I don't know what the model numbers are. Anyway, the twelve inch woodpeckers square. That's a nice one to have. That that's that's a nice one. I also like their framing square. But man, that framing square is expensive. It's a yeah. twelve eighty one. Yeah, twelve eighty one, not twelve eighty. Excuse me. Yeah, I would like to get I'd... their twenty four or their thirty one inch T square. I keep, you know me, I'm cheap. Yeah, but yeah. That I would I'd like to add that would be the only and last thing of woodpeckers that I would like to not only but last thing that I would like to add. I use their they did send me a twelve eighty one or whatever it is, but I rarely use it. But I would like to have a T square like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing they did send me that I thought was kind of a silly thing, but I find myself using it quite a bit. Is there they've got a ruler that's it's got one side and then another side to it that's 90 degrees. And it's like an edge rule. Oh, yeah, the hook rule. No, it's an edge rule. So it goes over oh, the edge of your, yes. your your piece of wood. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would think that that's kind of a gimmicky thing. Uh-huh. I find myself using those quite a bit now. Huh. Oh, okay. Because you can set it inside something and it's – gives you real purchase against your reference what you're referencing mm-hmm. and you can stick it in a corner of something and it, it I'm finding new use. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to like them quite a bit now. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know if I recommend buying them, but I, I'm starting to like them. The one thing I didn't mention before, which I use probably more than anything else is a little six inch. Was it Mitu Toyu? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, ruler, steel ruler. They're like, it's expensive. It's like $10, <laughs> which is expensive for a, a little ruler like that, but it's really accurate. And I, I actually have three of them because I, I always lose one and then I end up buying one and then I find the other one. One thing to so probably mention like three of them. is, you know, mixing brands like this, you definitely want to make sure that the measurements are all the same yeah. on them. I've sure. run into that. I bought a cheap, uh, combination square when I first started woodworking and compared it to another one and they were off probably about a 16th of an inch which is a pretty big deal when you're making sure your tenons are the right size or your mortises are in the right location and all that yeah it's a big deal yeah I just threw away a, a 12 foot 
tape measure that I used that I used to use quite a bit, like every day, and I found out it was a thirty second of an inch off. So I yeah. tossed it. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that covers it, Jack. That was a good question. I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. So I think we go back to Hui. So this question is from Josh, and Josh actually had three questions, two of which were directed towards Guy. So I, I took the third one there that is directed for everyone. And Josh asks, it seems as though all three of you work in your garage. What is your best storage-saving tips? The one that I have is whenever you get like some type of stamped steel base or a steel base that really has like a one little shelf on it or something like that. Like a drum sander. Yeah. Get rid of it. (laughs) Exactly right. Either completely toss it or integrate in some way more storage because it's just having that one open shelf does absolutely no good for you. Uh, You'll always be knocking stuff down. It'll always collect a lot of dust and sawdust. Just, Just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Build something in substitute for it or just build a cabinet underneath it in some way. Um, what I've done is I pretty much have gotten rid of like my drum sander, which is a 1936, 1938, 1938. Sorry. Can't do math. 1938, uh, super max sand drum sander. I completely got rid of the stamp steel base and just bought a uh, built a cabinet underneath it. And it's just as solid. And I have a lot more, storage space like for instance I, I store my hvlp in there a whole bunch of sanding supplies and i prefer drawers over over shelves but some things are bigger and you just need those shelves so you know for the things that are that can fit in drawers i highly recommend drawers things that need to obviously stay on shelves because they're bigger for me it happens to be like the hvlp system so how about you guy yeah you got a you got a tip for uh for josh here Shop saving store. Um, I always when I when I hear stuff like this, I think about what I need and what I want. So let me tell you what what I did in my, in my shop. And actually, Sean was a big help in designing my shop. I don't know if you guys Uh-oh. know that. Did you know that, Hui? I did not know that. Yeah, Sean came up one weekend, and we spent probably what a good part of a day. Yep. Doing nothing but discussing what made sense in my shop. And what what I should build and all that all that that cabinetry and everything, Sean probably didn't think I was going to follow through on any of that, did you? <laughs> Hell no, <laughs> that's way too much. Yeah, but I did. Oh yeah, and it's absolutely I was, beautiful. I was totally serious about it. So uh, we mentioned it before, which is lots of or, or drawers over shelves. I did the same thing. I in the one corner of the shop, I've got. 40 drawers Mm -hmm. 20 of them are small shallow drawers yeah they're perfect for putting lots of small items in the ones that get lost quite a bit um all the cabinetry up on top is for the stuff i don't need that often i don't know are you you guys familiar with 5s and lean and kaizen and all that crap yes at all Mm -hmm. okay so Part of the 5S system, it starts with sort. And then after that, it's set in motion. And then after that, it's standardized. So with the whole idea, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find out what you need and put it within easy grasp of being able to use mm-hmm. and put it in the same spot every time. So it's in the standard place. So a home for everything and everything in its place. Take a look at, you know, let's say I've got those 20 drawers there. Mm-hmm. I, 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 and they're, they're actually, it, the, the stuff isn't just thrown in them. It's like, I've got a drawer that has this stuff in it and a drawer that has this stuff in it and a drawer that has this stuff in it. Right. And these drawers are in this part of the cabinet because this is where I'm going to use the most, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. So I try to put every. That's the only thing in my shop that actually I tried to make so I don't have to walk far. All you know the workflow stuff in a in a two car garage. I mean, really, you have to think about this is my milling area, and the, 
the two car garage, you got to walk 10 feet. Yeah. It's not, it's not a big deal. Yeah. So, but for stuff like all that little tiny stuff, it is a big deal when you're working on your bench and trying to find stuff and being able to get it. So that's, that's what I recommend is just lots of small drawers and putting all the small things where you can find them easily and where they make sense for when you need them. Yeah. Sean. Well, um, I don't want to be the third one to say drawers, but when (laughs) I first uh, started woodworking, I built upper cabinets and uh, they're just not very efficient. And, uh, and I'm sooner or later going to eventually pull them down. The problem is I have nowhere to put them and I'm not going to throw them away. So uh, definitely do drawers and, and 100% agree with we on those aluminum bases. Uh, that's yeah. definitely a project that I'm going to be tackling this year is, uh, replacing the stamped aluminum one shelf base that's on the uh, drum sander. Cause it's just a waste of space. And I could easily get probably four or five drawers and something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm just going to echo what they said. I agree with them. You guys are right. <laughs> you can't add anything to the conversation. Why are you here, Sean? Oh my That's a good goodness. question. <laughs> I'm here to repeat. I'm here to repeat answers. Apparently, <laughs> echo chambers more than one time. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's awful. Well, I feel bad now that we've, you know, answered the whole question and didn't leave anything for Sean. So why don't you take the next question, Sean? Oh well, thank you. All right, this is from Nick. I'm gluing up three boards, each board being one inch thick, eight feet long, six six inches wide. I do not have a flat surface that big to do a glue up on. Do you have any recommendations on how to ensure a flat glue up? Next. Nick. Nick. That was a bad one. I'm going to take a stab at this, and then I'm going to pass it to the other guys just so I don't take all of the answers and uh, give them a, an opportunity <laughs> to speak. See how nice I am? Um, you are. You're very thoughtful. Yeah, but I would probably build a temporary platform using some two by fours laying on their edge. And then I would use a half a sheet of plywood or MDF laying on top of that to build a temporary platform. Uh, Now, you mentioned that you're going to be doing three boards, six inches wide. So that's going to give you, what, 18 inches. Uh, And depending on the type of clamps, half inch sheet uh, being 24 inches uh, should be wide enough. But if not, obviously, you can cut the the plywood or MDF wider. And I would shim the two by fours so that they're level. Um, mm. and then fix it in place with some, uh, pieces in between the two by fours and screw it together to build a temporary platform. And it's going to give you something that's solid that you can put the boards on and glue those up to get you the eight foot long, uh, 18 inch wide panel so that you can do what you need to with it. Um, you know, I attempted a big cabinet glue up on my garage floor and I definitely would not recommend that for a panel glue up typically with a five by five cabinet. It was a big cabinet. And it was just a case glue up. You have a little bit of wiggle room after the cabinet is glued up so that you can, you know, get it square when you're putting your back panel. But something that's important, like a panel glue up that's that long and that wide, I would definitely make a temporary platform as one option to do the glue up. And I'm going to stop there and I'm going to pass this to Hui. What would you do? So the uh, the saw sawhorses that I have actually has like a side insert. And some of the sawhorses that are available and I'm not talking like super expensive saw horses either uh, have an insert that you can put like two by fours into or two by sixes. And that can be used as sort of like an elevated uh, section uh, so that you can put down a piece of plywood or whatnot over top. If you can put like a couple of these um, two by sixes in place and uh, what similar to what you said, Sean earlier, you can shim up the, areas that are not level and then just get like a temporary level surface to try to get your glue up done. Uh, I've done that for bigger glue ups in the past when I didn't have my assembly table. Um, and the assembly table I had was just way too small. So I, I took a couple of inexpensive saw horses and attached some two by sixes on them, leveled them out, uh, put a piece of plywood over top of them and, you know, use that as a temporary sort of work table. So and that seemed to work all right for me. Uh, Guy, any suggestions there? Well, I don't know if I can beat anything that a true rocket scientist can come up with. (laughs) Whatever. Whatever. Um, Yeah, both those solutions are good. I mean, if you've got something like this and 
I was thinking about it, and I've done something like this a long time ago. I don't remember if it worked out well for me or not. But I did it on the garage floor, and I used winding sticks. You know, pipe clamp, uh, this is time that there were, this was before even parallel clamps. All I had was pipe clamps. And I put them on the floor, and my pipe clamp, my pipes are pretty flat to begin with, right? So I, I put them on the floor. And I put the, the glue up on there and dry, you know, dry uh, fit it together. And then I used shims. I used the shims underneath the clamps to get it and winding sticks to get it so there was no twist to it. That didn't require really anything other than pipe clamps and shims. Right. But I haven't had to do anything like that since. So, and I don't remember if it worked out well for me or not. Oh. <laughs> it was a long. It was a long time ago. It was well over twenty years ago. I can't. I, I remember doing it, but now if I if I do that now, I would take. I would go buy an eight foot sheet of melamine or an eight foot sheet of mm. uh, MDF, and lay it across between my table saw, my outfeed table, my assembly table, and just shim it using winding sticks to make sure it was there was no twist to it and just use that. That's what I would do now. The same yeah. thing you guys were talking about. Yeah. But if you don't want to go through all that, you can do the same thing on the floor. Cool. All right. Well, hope that helps, Nick. So the next question is for me, and this is from Eric. And it says, gentlemen, I've enjoyed your podcast. I have a question for the three of you. I've recently upgraded or downgraded, depends on how you want to look at it, from a Delta three-phase, five-horsepower Unisaw right tilt, mucho power, not much safety, to a saw stop, three-horsepower left tilt, less power, more safety. Is there any difference in approaching cuts for the left versus right tilt? My cross-cut sled has to be remade, and I have to rework the miter bar on my Delta Buick size tenoning jig, etc. <laughs> In the past, I've used a miter bar on the left side for cross-cutting, so the blade tilts away from the support fence. Do I start using it on the right side of the blade so it tilts away from the support fence? Any other tips or hazards I should be aware of? Thanks in advance, Eric. So. I'm going to come to one of these questions. I'm going to pass it off to Sean. Okay? Uh-oh. Because <laughs> I, I don't want Sean to feel like he doesn't have anything to answer. So is there any difference in approaching cuts for the left versus right tilt? Yes. Typically on a right tilt, which is what you have now, you've actually, you should, if you're doing, let's say you're, you're, using your miter bar or your, your miter fence or even your, your, your straight fence. Let's not talk about the miter, the miter bar right now or the miter fence. So you're using just your regular fence and you want to cut something at, let's say a 10 degree angle or a, you know, 80 degree angle, something 10 degrees off of 90. So you tilt your fence, your blade over to the right. Well, you don't want to have the workpiece between the blade and the the fence like that. You actually would move your your fence to the left-hand side of the blade. So your mm -hmm. cutoff is underneath the I don't know what what side is that called? We like the waist side. The waist side. side. Yeah, yeah, we just call it the waist side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the waist side of the blade. So you'd have to move it over now with the left tilt saw, you don't have to do that. Right. You can just keep it on the right-hand side. So like for me where I've got the Ankara aftermarket fence, mm -hmm. I'm never going to put my fence on the left-hand side of the blade. So I've got to have a left-hand tilt on my saw. Right. So, Sean, do you want to talk about the miter bar and the, the, the miter and the, the cross-cutting on that? Yeah, it's essentially the same. So right now you, you, you have it on the left because it's a right tilt. So you're going to have to put it on the right if it's a left tilt. Right. Yeah. And if you get a saw stop, <laughs> do not cut aluminum. <laughs> do not. Well, what happens? Well, without what what happens? 
Yeah. The um, I can't even come up with a joke. It's it sucks so bad, but it'll uh, trigger the break. It will eat your blade. It will make you angry. First, you'll be a little uh, scared, and then the uh, you'll be angry, and then you'll have to buy a new blade and a uh, new break. And be so really do angry. That. Yeah, don't do that twice. <laughs> See, my, my 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 question for this is though, you know, like on the miter gauge. See, my my saw is a left tilt, just like most saws nowadays are all left tilt. Right. I use the miter slot to the left. I do the, too. I do. I do. I rarely. I, I rarely tilt the blade on the saw and use the miter gauge. Right. I do, and I I, I cut miters that way, and I put and I use the the miter gauge on the right side. But yeah, I also use my Incra sled on the left, but I don't, I don't use it in tilt the blade. Right. Yeah. That's what, that's really what we're talking about is tilting the blade Correct. in conjunction with your, your miter fence or your cross cut slide. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. You obviously want to put, if you're tilting it with a saw stop, especially put your miter gauge on the right side of the blade so that you're not cutting into your miter miter gauge. So when I got the Incra miter gauge that I have, I actually had the Grizzly table saw, which tilted to the right. So I cali- so I put the miter gauge to the left of the miter, and I calibrated it so that'd be the, to the left of the saw blade. Well, since I got the saw stop, I didn't bother to recalibrate it. I mean, I recalibrated it measurement wise, but I didn't bother to uh, switch everything over to the right side and change all the, um, change all the fittings and everything. Uh, yeah, why bother? I ha- I haven't, cause I've never, I haven't tilted the plate in that direction with the miter gauge or had to do it with the miter gauge yet. So I just yeah. don't bother, you know, that's, that's, that's really the thing is how often do you, tilt the blade and use your miter gauge or cross cut sled for me. It's like never. I very rarely do. I I mean, I I can't think of a time that I did. I only cut miters for boxes and stuff doing it that way with the miter gauge. I don't, haven't tried the, the router yet, but that's the only way that I do it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've got a a dedicated sled for cutting 45s. If I'm going to make like boxes or something like that. That I made a while ago, and I but I don't use it that often. But I'm glad I have it when I when I want to use it. So, Sean, you're the same way. Your miter gauge is still set to the left of the blade. No, I I, I use both. I mean, if I use the inker, I'm going on the left. If I use my, if I use my, what is the brand? Come on, Craig or the stock one. I'll go to the right of it. I mean, I use both of them. Okay. I mean, if it, if okay. it's staying straight up, I'll use both of them. But, but your Inker 5000 I'm, is more of a crosscut sled than it is a well, it is a miter gauge too. But yeah, correct? Am I I'd right? Call it more of a crosscut sled. Yeah, yeah. It's a well, you can call it a crosscut sled. I mean, it still rides in a miter slide. It's got a miter bar and it's got you know the adjustable head, just like a miter gauge. Yeah. Okay. okay. It's got aluminum that you got to be careful of. <laughs> but you but you use that to the left of the blade as well, right? That is correct. Yeah. Yep. And I if do. I'm doing miters, I use my Craig on the right side of it. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. And so for me, I have to use everything else because of my Incra table saw fence. Right. Right. I don't want to take that thing off because it, even though they say you can take it off and move it from either, to either side of the blade and blah, 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 blah. I don't want to take that thing off because if I take it off, it'll take me, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes to recalibrate it again. Right. Right. And I don't want to go through any of that. So it's just staying in one place. And if I put a, a my miter gauge or the crosscut sled to the right of the blade, right. I, I don't have it. I don't have enough capacity for length. Correct. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And it's only like, you know, 25, 26 inches mm-hmm. or something like that. No, 30 inches. Mm-hmm. So I just don't do it. I, I have everything that goes to the left. So. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's it for our questions tonight. So now comes the time in our podcast where we talk about what's going on in our own shops. So what's going on in your shop, Wee? Well, I finally got my CNC machine in. Uh, All right. So what's going on in your shop, Sean? (laughs) I finally got my planer working again. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Can you tell us more about No, I'm just going to. So tell us about your CNC machine, Wee. 
Well, it just came in on Friday. Um, so I did a, a couple of checkouts on it just to make sure that everything is functioning, uh, ran some of the wiring. Um, not much. It's only like uh, two, two connections that have to, that go to the VFD and, um, did a shakedown on it, uh, where I basically ran like a 300,000 line G code that the builder sent me to, uh, to do a shakedown on the machine, see if I got any errors, no errors works pretty well. And I did do a little bit of work on my entryway bench. I did the, um, I cut, I cross cut the top and bottoms of the legs and the aprons. I beveled the aprons so that everything, because this has a splay and a rake angle with the legs, uh, so that the carcass and the bench itself will sit flat on the base assembly. So that's all I've got. Sean, how about you, man? What do you got going on? Um, well, uh, if you followed along in the last episode on the um, state of my joiner planer combo machine and finding parts, Rikon and Bailey Industrial both had the same exact chain wheel. I called both, and both of them are also out of stock. Um, so I was pretty much out of options. Jet said it won't be until September. Wow. Bailey said late August. Rikon actually never did call me back when I asked how long it would be. So that's probably typical. Um, of their customer service from what I've heard. And um, so uh, randomly I got an email from e-replacementparts.com where I purchased it. They had one in stock. Nobody else had one. And I don't know why it took them four or five weeks to ship it if they had it in stock. But I got that in the main sprocket. Pro- you know what they probably happened is they did inventory and found it. <laughs> That's probably true. It's a, no, because it wasn't. Curious. Well, I mean, I agree with you because it's it's a completely remodeled part. It's not plastic. It's metal. It's designed completely different. And when I got it and pulled it out of the bag, I was like, oh, man, this is not the right part. And then I looked at it. They It's a completely redesigned part, uh, a whole lot better. Uh, got everything installed. The machine works great. Um, and I'm back to actually making sawdust. I'm working on a small project. It's actually the Wood Whisper Guild bread box. Uh, I really like that design. So I'm making one out of some quarters on walnut and I need to buy some, something for the, for the drawer front and the, and the top lid or whatever you want to call it. But that's what I've been working on outside of just really, really, really busy at work and not having too much time in the shop. But yeah, that's all that I've been doing in my shop. What about you guy? Well, in my in my shop at home, like like normal, I haven't done much of anything. Everything I work on woodworking wise lately seems to be at work, but I'm not going to bore you with that stuff. Some of you may know, some of you may not know. A couple weeks ago, actually a week and a half ago, somebody hacked into my Instagram account and deleted it which was a lot of fun. I had, you know, 143, 144,000 followers. I had a lot of pictures on there and it's just gone. And Instagram was absolutely no help. They wouldn't even respond to me, uh, which is always nice. So I started a new uh, Instagram account it's guys wood shop two. It was I was very creative with the naming of it, <laughs> and I'd like to say a special thank you to the first person that made a mention of it on their Instagram and asked people to go follow my new account, and that's Jason Bent of Bent's Woodworking, who also is a Patreon supporter. And, you know, thank you for your support. Besides him, and of course, Hui and Sean, who are very nice to put something up on their Instagram, there was, and I'm not, I, I, I'm going to apologize because I'm not going to name anybody else because there was way too many people. It was a, just a, a huge outpouring of support that I received from the, the community out there. And it was very, um, it was very touching, but a bunch of people took a post and reposted it and asked other people to repost and follow my account. And within a day I had like 6,000 followers on my new account, which is actually a pretty sizable number. (laughs) 
that's not a small account. Yeah. Um, in comparison to the 140 some I had before, yes, it's a small account. But to most people, that's actually a pretty decent sized account. And and I'll be honest with you, I'm pretty happy about it. I I've, I found out who my my friends really were, and I think a lot of those followers on Instagram probably haven't even looked at one of my pictures and who knows how long, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So a lot of them are hollow followers, what I would call them. Sure. So I think I have most of my base back because there's guys that had really big accounts that I'm sure with that, you know, if they followed me, they followed these other people as well that asked them to, to go ahead. And so I think I got my core audience back if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm pretty happy about it. And again, thanks everybody. Thank you know you two guys of course. Uh, for helping really kick that off too. You were the second and third guys, actually the third and fourth guys to, to do that. The, the second one was Tab, Tab Adams from Cross, Cross Cut Vintage Designs, who's one of my buddies here in town, <clears throat> right? who uh, asked people to, to follow me, so. I don't want to talk about it anymore, but thanks everybody. And, uh, I really appreciate it. Awesome. So I think that it's going to do it for the show. And we would like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us in the search rankings. And of course we truly appreciate the support and feedback. And, you know, remember this podcast is here to answer your questions. And if you have woodworking, woodworking questions, you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. And you can reach me at guyswoodshop.com or on Instagram at guyswoodshop2. And where can you be found, Wee? You can find me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my YouTube and social media are on my website. Sean? You can find me at simplecove.com and at simplecove on social media. Awesome. Easy, easy peasy. All right, guys. It was, uh, I said it was a lot of fun talking to you, and we'll do it again in a couple weeks. Talk to you See in a you couple. later. Later.